Wake up, Jah Warriors! Wake up from your sleeping slumber! Welcome, 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 everybody, to the What's Good podcast. I am your host, Ash. I am M. And we are coming to you today with yet another thing that we've been consuming. Um, M, what's good with you? What's good? The scenes of a marriage. Oh my God. <laughs> we are completely late to this because it's been out for quite some time. It has. But better late than never. And actually, what's the rush? Right? I feel like it's one of those things that you just kind of, you need to let the hype die down, even though I'm not necessarily sure that the intended audience was us. But <laughs> I, what, what, what hype was there to really die down? But what we love you, it anyway, and we'll discuss. Who was the intended audience? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I don't know how Black people feel about watching. No. Uh, no, seriously. I don't know. You know I'm a very specific type of viewer. You know I watch mainly Black things. So I wonder if I many people like me who I'm sure there are who who are always who always feel out of the experience. They don't necessarily feel centered. They feel like they're just watching something at a distance. You know how there's like a couple in, on the street yeah, who's feel like the the street app- watching them. Yeah. 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 Feels like you're I watching guess. something that is not your experience. So every yeah. time, I'm always very I'm always hyper aware of that fact. So that's where that came from. But a great watch nonetheless <laughs> um honestly i i completely understand what you mean and I, I think i'll talk a bit about that the more we like delve into the actual watch that's it um yeah i don't know if you want to give a little roundup as to what the the, the idea of scenes of a marriage is i guess wow baby scenes of a marriage is a chaotic five-part um show what I call it a show. It feels like one long movie, but cut into five parts. And it's basically, (laughs) it's basically about these two characters, Mira and Jonathan, who are in this monogamous marriage. And the show has been cut up into five parts where we slowly but surely see the deterioration of their relationship and how they navigate having to detangle their lives from each other. And it goes from being very sad to violent, to confusing, to quite frankly, how, why am I still here? I'm halfway through part three and I'm still watching. This is so good, but wow, I hate to see these people fight like this. I don't know. <laughs> it was wild. I loved it. But yeah, in, in essence, yeah. that's that's about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's right. It's a complete journey. And so actually, it's been really difficult for us to decide how we want to talk about this. And I guess we we decided like the, the, there are some like main themes going through all the episodes because there are five episodes. So to try and fitting this into a 30 minute slot is not going to be the easiest thing. No. But there are two no. themes we're going to try and focus on and then talk about all five episodes through the lenses of these like the main themes that we, we identify, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ash, like, what was the, the theme that jumped out to you the most? I think the first thing I want to talk about is, I mean, the obvious uh, reversal of traditional gender roles. So in the show, Mira is the main breadwinner and we get to find that out fairly early on. So that immediately mm-hmm. establishes the dynamic between herself and her husband. We see her on edge. We see her uninterested in that interview. 
which, which isn't which isn't necessarily uh, the average portrayal of a devoted wife. You know, if your husband asks you to do this thing, you're kind of just like, yeah, okay, honey, like, sure. <laughs> but yeah, she's uninterested. We immediately see closer bond between the husband and the child than that of Mira's, than, than with Mira anyway. And yeah, she discusses her being the breadwinner in her relationship and how in fact that is the essence that is the reason behind why they're being interviewed in the first place and so gradually we begin to see not necessarily how it impacts jonathan because up until i think part four jonathan seems like the quintessential ideal modern age partner he's very okay with his wife to make more money than him, to do what she has to do. He's devoted. He wants to be with this woman and this woman alone. What more could you ask for, right? Mm. Um, But we find out that it is more Mira who is uncomfortable with being the breadwinner. And Mm. you see- And that's again the gender reversal thing you're talking about. Yeah, I think she she gets really, she's uncomfortable. She, I think she struggles. And I think there's just a a bigger, a bigger thing at play here where she's uncomfortable with herself. I think she's uncomfortable with being the breadwinner. She's uncomfortable and she shows her discomfort by sometimes throwing it in his face and just throwing her money in his face. Fine. Yes, I will. I will pay for the movers. I will pay for this. I'll pay for your for, for the rent or for the rest of the mortgage. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about that as I elope or as I leave to go meet my German lover in Tel Aviv. You know, <laughs> like she she uses it as something something to throw in his face. And and Jonathan is always confused as to why she does that, because that's not that's not why he got into this relationship in the first place. He mm-hmm. actually genuinely loves this woman. So yeah, and then there's this also this very unconventional. I think it's still I I feel I still feel like I can say that it's un- unconventional because we don't see very many portrayals of 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 domestic men. So obviously to see that and to see this dynamic is always quite interesting. So kind of piggybacking off what you just said, that's actually the, the my the theme that I thought was super like was again it's it's very connected to your like your point that was worked throughout the entire program was this this dichotomy between convention rather orthodox and unorthodox almost. And mm-hmm. I think what I find so I find that interview scene really interesting for for a lot of reasons, right? Because he they asked them to define themselves and one of the ways that Jonathan defines himself as, as Jewish and he says I used to be orthodox until I met Mira and or and then I think I fell out of the orthodoxy after I met Mira yeah and then you're then thrown into this series where yeah they are unorthodox in terms of the gender roles they are unorthodox in terms of how they navigate their relationship and then we almost see that through the relationship of Kate and Peter who come to dinner again and that's like and in that dinner scene actually Mira and Jonathan to start off with are actually the bastions of the orthodox like right. relationship in a sense where actually she Mira calls Peter, Peter stuff, some adolescent bullshit. Right. And she says, Peter's dragged them into this adolescent nonsense. Right. Da, 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 da. Kate wouldn't want to be in this. Yeah, la la la. She's coming out strong against the, po- the polyamorous relationship wow. that Kate and Peter's friends have. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're the, they're, the, they're the supposedly orthodox couple, and like Kate and Peter are the unorthodox lot doing the unorthodox thing. Right. And so I think that's almost like the, the, the like for me, that's one of the, like this, there's like a battle between like, from throughout the entire series between 
the orthodox and unorthodox because even like somewhere later on in the series we see that Jonathan after their marriage starts to like dissolve a little bit starts practicing some uh Jewish rights again you know he takes he takes up some of those rights that he had discarded and so I think there's always a tension of actually and we and I think we talked about this so unlike you I really relate to Mira interesting how come I really really relate to Mira because she's married this guy who represents like stability he wants the marriage he represents like everything that you're supposed to want like in a sense right like a good man like a monogamous marriage he represents all of that yeah and she says that through him she's able to sort of like he gives her the stability to like climb the ladder and blah blah all of that kind of stuff and actually that's that's how he describes the relationship as well he says because one of the questions that the babe asked him that interview was really fun to watch where she asked them um how do you see marriage or, or how do you what did she say did she say how did she how do you see marriage something like yeah that? How like how, how would you define marriage successful yeah. marriage yeah. yeah right yeah that was such an interesting question how do you define a successful marriage and he goes and she goes i mean you guys are successful because you've lasted more than 10 years and they start going is that it is length mm. the primary determinant of a successful marriage um yeah and I, I that entire thing was so interesting to me because of course like how does one define again and, and that's that points that question again for me of orthodox versus the unorthodox because sure there's an orthodox definition i guess and that's maybe the 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 length of a marriage but anyone who's been near married people has a strong knows that length is not all there is to like say there are lots of people who are married till they die but we can't necessarily say that was a successful marriage right and so there's that question right again of like what is actually um like i don't know again that question of and this is the choice that mira has right because he says before he date mira dated him she was dating like a rock star or something like that mm-hmm. and so i feel like mira by choosing him has bought into like the orthodox like stable life right where she feels that she doesn't have to worry about like the like violence and abandonment of a less orthodox life and i think that i sometimes strongly relate to this where i really want like all of this excitement and blah blah but at the same time i can't i feel like i can't bear the instability that comes with it yeah. And I, I, I think, unfortunately for Jonathan, in a way he was kind of, I think they both needed whatever they offered each other. Mm-hmm. Mira, after a string of uncomfortable, violent relationships, needed stability. And Jonathan saw Mira as an escape from his traditional life. He's he exactly. this boy who came into the big city, left mm-hmm. behind his Orthodox Jew ways, met mm-hmm. this baddie redhead who was just really cool. And he felt like mm-hmm. this, this nerd who was asthmatic and probably <laughs> probably saw her as a, as a prize, as a trophy. You know, I, I badged the girl that no other man was able to um, hold down. 100%. And do you know, segue, when they were just defining themselves and he defined himself as a, a Jewish, man, Jew, and yeah. as a man, and as an academic, as a father, I thought it was so fascinating that he did not describe himself as white. Interesting. Why? I, I, I find that perfectly normal. <laughs> <laughs> Because because I would one of the first things if you asked me to define myself I'd be like I'm a woman I'm a black whatever but I wouldn't like I would define my like race and ethnicity I would like immediately I would also mention my race right and 
I thought like whiteness has to be so normative to you, like you, that you don't even think to mention it as like a fine defining feature of the way you navigate the world. Exactly. Because we are constantly othered. <laughs> like we're constantly yeah. made to feel as though we are in spaces that don't belong to us. So for someone like Jonathan, whiteness is the after, after, afterthought, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it just is, it just, it is just a part of him. And it's an, an, an unspoken part of him. You know, I think I think it makes more sense for him to say that he's Jewish than for him to say that he's white. You know what I think? So, you know what, what triggered me there? So afterwards, he says he defines himself as an asthmatic. And she goes, why do you define yourself as that? And he says, when you, you live so long with the possibility of like suffocating to death, asthma comes to define you. And a part of me feels like blackness. Yes. <laughs> that's as asthma to him is basically how the rest of us feel about like right. being black right <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how this minor inconvenience could be could be what he uses to define himself yes of course asthmatic peeps don't come for me yes it's a problem <laughs> but you know what i mean awesome. within this context you know what i mean within this context no I, like it literally I was like it, it that was the first thing like in when I was writing notes that was the first note I wrote I literally wrote why does this man not define himself as white I couldn't I, I was just like what yeah like you define yourself as asthmatic before you just fantastic well like, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have to he doesn't have to right like I would define myself as even if I had kids I would define myself as black before I define myself as a mother probably wow yeah. that makes sense I was gonna say he actually defines himself as a father before he's like an academic one of the ways he describes i find the way he defined himself in this entire interview really interesting like he defined himself because usually you hear it whether like with like, do you remember that that debacle because um hillary clinton had in her bio wife senator blah 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 and bill clinton just had former president nothing about husband <laughs> And everybody was like, stand up, Hillary, get up, girl, yeah. get up. <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's all about social capital, right? I mean, he was, he is, he, I mean, he was the former president. What can you say? I guess some people just, it's because in many settings, in my understanding anyway, being a father is so secondary. You're defined by your mm. job. You're defined as a, you are a provider, essentially. So what you do is who you are. And the rest of us women are just here to make sure that your kids stay alive and are fed and are and are okay. But I think that goes to your point of the gender reversal that we see throughout this kind of, like it's that it's that like detailed the attention given to like actually saying. And actually, that's one of the things that the interviewer says. I think she says something along the lines of, "I'm doing a study as to how evolving gender roles impact marriages." So right. The attention to people is like for those characters is done to that like granular level. It was very well done. It was really, well it was very well written. And just to, cut, to to tie back to that point about the guilt and, and her position in her family's dynamic. I don't know. It was so well written that I really struggled to root for Mira, um, which is always a very uncomfortable position for me to be in. Because as a woman, <laughs> yes, as a woman, I always want to root for the woman, but they made it mm-hmm. so difficult for me from her very brash communication style to 
interrupting him to minimizing the way he feels to minimizing his expressions of his his discussions in 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 therapy she doesn't want to hear about his feelings she doesn't want to hear about the psychobabble she forces him to share his diary entry and he'll do it he'll do it out of love he'll do it because when we see in part five that really interesting scene between him and his mother in the car and Mm. and he tells her you know it's okay for you to be relieved that that dad is dead because through that we acknowledge that there were both push pushovers in their in, in the relationship yeah. Right? Yeah. and he, he's the evolved pushover right he's come out yeah that's such a good point yeah yeah he's come out the other side he's he's mm-hmm. grown through it he's gone to, to mm-hmm. therapy he's acknowledged it and she said i'm sorry baby i'm okay in my traditional <laughs> in my traditional family <laughs> you know yes yes your father was this that and the third but he was still my husband and i still loved him and I, it was interesting that he also figured out that he was projecting his flaws onto his mother she was happy in her position mm-hmm. he ultimately wasn't but i wonder if People nowadays aren't happy because they see that there are many choices out there for us. And obviously, in Jonathan's mom's day and age, she could never imagine that the woman would be the breadwinner, probably, or she to that to the extent of Mira's case in her family. So I wonder to what extent choice has in our perceptions of everything that we do, in this case in marriage. Um, that's what I was telling you about when Kate and and Peter came to their house. I just feel like a place like New York is just so rampant with possibilities. And <laughs> sorry to just a side anecdote. Somebody I was dating when I asked him about the possibility of moving to New York, he said we could never do that as a couple because there's too much temptation. Wow, he <laughs> hit the head, the nail on the head. I agree. I feel like a situation like New York is just a hotbed. It's just like it's just anything that can happen, which is arguably the same that you could say of, of, about London. Are we overstimulated? Are we given too many choices? Are we just thrown by the different combinations and possibilities of what relationships could look like that we just fumble through all of them? <laughs> Do you know so, what I mean? Yeah, so I, 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 on first watch, I had similar questions. And then I, re- I was like watching the first episode again. And in the, in again, the interview scene is the interview scene. Realistically, they lay the ground for everything they're going to do. They, they, that introduction, they do it well. They laid their argument. Well. Well. <laughs> they laid Very the well. argument quite. Because at one point, Mira says, Jonathan loves a chance to explain why capitalism has ruined relationships. Right. And I thought that was such like, I, I missed it the first time, but the second time, like I, I watched it, I thought, actually, so interesting because he says that capitalism destroys relationships by conditioning something i'm i'm paraphrasing but it like conditions us to prioritize novelty right kind of like you were saying too much choice so we're looking for everybody's trying to come up with something that's really innovative and different from the others and we want the most scarce most novel thing blah 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 blah, right right? and 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 we're now projecting that onto like relationships as well to some degree and then even like later on in the dining scene when kate kate is like um by the way, like, so he says this, and I'm not saying that I agree with him, but I think that's his like view of it. I, if I'm completely honest, looking at the entire, I think there are many arguments positive throughout the series. So Peter's view of these things, this thing seems to be that like 
capitalism has destroyed relationships by conditioning and conditioning us to prioritize novelty and then that argument that that jonathan makes is is played out by Mira, who is like we've established the breadwinner. So she's actually the one in the public sphere, while Jonathan is the one in the private sphere. Like as right. in Mira is one actively, she's like really deep, elbows deep in the capitalist like workplace, right? Mm -hmm. She's literally there. And I think that's why you like you mentioned, she tries to solve things, but she solves she wants to solve things with money, right? She is a novelty chaser in the both of the both of them. And and I can't help but think that the fact that she's a breadwinner, the fact that she is more embroiled in capitalism, if that's the word contributes to that or in fact it's that she's written that way on purpose almost right i think that's part of the creator's argument that like that you once you like kind of really embody all of those aspects of capitalism so much you live and breathe it breathe it you're never you're you're naturally going to be kind of um leaning towards seeking novelty because even in the old one in the in the original scenes of a marriage the man is obviously the breadwinner blah blah and he's the one going out and he meets a new woman while he's outside and i think there, there must there might be a commentary here about how it, maybe it's not even gender related it's more about your participation in capitalism right how interesting and um if you look in the, the, the dinner scene they're yelling about like kate and peter these people that are involved in this um polyamorous relationship kate's very upset because the man she's been upon the, the third party i don't know how to describe the the person that's that's extra the person that's extraneous to the marriage in yeah. the polyamorous yeah. relationship um she's fallen in love with him and he's dumped her and she's a, openly upset about this and peter tries to tell her to not get emotional in public and she sits she basically yells at him i'm sick of this social fascism and again, I thought this was really interesting because it actually then gets quite political, political again, where I think this is already, I already think this, the argument that has been laid, like where the script is like extremely political. And she says, I'm allowed to talk about everything in the world except the stuff that truly matters to me. And again, it, for me, it took me back to this, like there seems to be a critique there of like this, the dichotomy between public and private life, right? Where she's supposed to, ha her emotions are supposed to be separate. She's supposed to be able to like at all points ward her emotions off, like keep them mm -hmm. locked away. And her, how she feels is devalued. She's speaking to like a devaluation of like the private sphere, your inner life. And again, the private sphere is linked to staying at home as opposed to going outside and participating in capitalism, right? Being stoic and like being like almost like a machine is associated with the public sphere and going outside and earning lots of money, blah, blah. And so I think throughout the entire thing, watching that first episode, again, I think there is a there is an argument like Peter says, does capitalism ruin really the modern relationship right? right i think it's yeah i think that's that's the, that thing about like the inno innovation and choices like the novelty choice like do we have too many choices i don't know if it's about too many choices but i think it's about the way that our choices have been structured mm. right we've been giving seemingly a lot of choices but not really there's a facade of choices yeah you, i think i think it's a facade of many choices right because and, and that's what we discover when Mira leaves Jonathan and is still unhappy. You're given, you're promised some sort of like ultimate satisfaction and she leaves and it still doesn't amount to anything. Yeah, the novelty, the novelty didn't lead her to any form of happiness. Yeah, like there's no fulfillment. The novelty as a, as a promise of fulfillment that we're like sold isn't necessarily it. And again, this isn't a critique of polyamorous, polyamorous relationships. I don't think that's what, that's not what I'm saying. It's more of a, cause even like within a polyamorous relationship, there's even within polyamorous, polyamorous, polyamorous relationships, it's, I'm not in one. So I, obviously I speak with, I, I want to exercise caution when I speak of, I speak of them, but I, I believe that there's like a lot of fidelity and like, do you know what I mean? These things are still able to like go, and again, 
I'm falling into the trap of of defining success in orthodox ways by saying I think polyamorous relationships are still able to be quite lengthy. Or yeah. Whatever. You know, I think I think they're able to provide all parties joy. You know, so I don't. It depends again on what you say you want to measure, what metrics. Admittedly, I think the quite one of the questions that this show is posing is even why, what metrics can you measure the success of relationships, relationships against? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> what what is that measure? I think I think the measure is just it's individual, right? It's it's whatever is it's whatever makes sense to the two, three, four, five people in that relationship because mm-hmm. on, only they have the context behind how mm-hmm. they got together and, and the dynamic of their relationship. But, you know, what's that's the, that's why I think people are always saying, face your front, you know, comparison, <laughs> <laughs> comparison is, the, is a thief of joy because you don't, you don't actually know what's going on in other relationships. Maybe communication being very transparent and, and and having good communication skills is what works in this relationship as opposed to length in that relationship. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like how you define who your best friend is. Is it by the length of your friendship? Well, I've been friends with this person for 14 years. Or is it this person that you met six months ago with whom you have, you know, invigorating conversations? And, or and do you even that, decide to define someone as your best friend? Or do you even decide to? it's fascinating turning to a little bit of a a stylistic angle I really enjoyed the way sounds were used on this show so I I I feel like they really contributed to the story Mm -hmm. you know when Jonathan is zipping up the suitcase you know it's loud it's loud we really feel like we're Mm -hmm. in there I think I don't was it I think it's part two I think sound was used very, very well in part two. When he's zipping up the suitcase, we can feel the heaviness. We can, we can mm-hmm. feel, I guess, the finality of their relationship. I can say the same for the, the, the rain machine. It sounds so isolating when he walks in that room mm-hmm. and he sees his daughter as, as the mother walks away from, from, from the life that she's known. The dinner table and and eating and ha- that awkward silence between Kate and Peter when mm-hmm. <laughs> when when Kate says she's she's tired of fascism um, mm-hmm. and not being able to express herself we feel that we feel that we feel when the suitcase is being dragged down the stairs when mm-hmm. when when Mira's like kabonk 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 on every 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 step um, his coughing his wheezing yeah. all of that contributes yeah. to the discomfort that we feel. Mm-hmm watching yeah. these scenes so that was that yeah, was really well done as well i completely agree because like so that first episode is titled like innocence and panic and throughout that episode jonathan is having all these panic attacks and he's so he's wheezing and with that when they're capturing that wheezing you too you feel all the anxiety that they're feeling right because there's all this panic in the episode that's yet to be discharged that it hasn't it's, it's not going anywhere and it's own it's in sec it's in episode two when when mirror kind of when Mira just kind of, Mira takes almost like the anxiety is like this balloon that keeps, and Jonathan's blowing it with his wheezing and keeps swelling and swelling and swelling. And Mira gets the, the, the little balloon of like, listen, I'm leaving. And she pops all of that like anxiety that's been brewing since episode one. And actually just, it's just mayhem. <laughs> it's absolutely, and unleashes all of this mayhem. And so you're, I, I completely agree with you like that. The, and the thing is that's, a, that's a, again, a stylistic choice on these part, on the part of these, because that, that wasn't a trait of a character in the first and the 1973 screenplay yeah. or teleplay. So it's oh. a choice that they've made. 
I do. I do enjoy the way they used his his condition because mm-hmm. from the very first instance, I guess, when they move in together and he has a he has an attack and they they take him to the hospital. It's because of that that they get together. So the the wheezing and the asthma is actually quite synonymous to their connection, even though mm-hmm. even though we start to see that connection crack when she asks him why he defines himself as an asthmatic. I really, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And how um, every time he wheezes, she runs, she finds his inhaler, hands it to him. And what then does this mean? She's annoyed. What is she's this? Annoyed. She's like, damn it, man. I'm supposed to be leaving. Why do I keep coming back to him? And then we fast forward to part five, or is it part four, where she says, she basically alludes to the fact that they're not breaking up the right way. Why is it taking them four, five, six years to break up properly? I think it's in part five when they're in the mm-hmm. attic. You know, mm-hmm. why, why, why are they so tangled up into, in, in one another? There's something you said really interesting that I almost want to take a take a stab at like what 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 the producers or the director or the screen like whatever the screenwriter is trying to tell us because like really like you said every major moment they, there is a panic attack the first time they have sex panic attack there's always like a panic attack and you're right Mira is going to find this thing so it's almost like although they've done that splitting where they've gone okay they've it seems like they've made an unconscious agreement between themselves okay jonathan you be the heart you you be the the pusher of orthodoxy and mira you bring the you bring the 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 spontaneity right but even though jonathan has seemingly opted into that like has taken on that role he's still not fully comfortable with that orthodox life and i think that maybe when we see that thing where mira is like bringing him that that the asthma inhaler it's her trying to pacify his like panic about the orthodox life that they're leading right she's mm-hmm. like do you know what i mean it's her trying to go okay it's okay it's okay we're, like because they're both panicked and it's like they're throwing back and forth this anxiety about about like actually the choices that they've made with regard to opting into this really orthodox life um and i think it's it, i think it's almost they, they do have to constantly pacify each other about the fact like it's okay yeah no it's fine we made this choice and I've, there's only so much that that can last right like trying to pacify each other about the choice that you make right if we if we if we say that Jonathan is as panicked about the orthodox life that they've chosen as Mira, it makes Jonathan in episode four and five his actions make a lot more sense. Absolutely, because it takes yeah, it takes a it takes a lot of um, attention to detail to see that coming. If you're not paying attention, you'll be as shocked as many other viewers. When you see <laughs> when you see him in the bathroom calling his new wife and his baby, which then mm-hmm. which then feels like I don't know. I feel like the show left me really sad about relationships. Like it totally stripped away the beauty of it all and mm-hmm. basically made them transactional. You know, everyone, everyone is here for what, what they want. In that scene, Jonathan basically explains that, you know, he, he, he had to marry her because he's now become more and more Jewish. He's more and more traditional again. Um, but more so he wanted the child. So why not? She got knocked up. Fine. Marriage doesn't really mean much to me anyway. There's a, there's a stark difference between part one, Jonathan and part five, Jonathan. He's jaded. He's jaded. He part five. Jonathan is part two. Mira. He's jaded. He's, he's gone through it. it. He's he's now transactional. That's the word. He's now seeing things more as an exchange. I think it's so interesting because it's this thing where 
but he's kind of bought into this idea of like or rather not bought into it i think he never fully opted out right so like he's 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 using these people for as a means to an end and actually he's always viewed relationships like that because in the beginning when they asked him how do you view marriage and he says i view it as a project or something oh no he says everyone seems to view it as this project you know he, he criticizes capitalism actually as making everybody view marriage as this project and we all have to buy self-help books and continue working on the ever like improving the project of marriage you know marriage is supposed to be a safe base from which you like go on to do other things or whatever whatever right um, and, and i guess I think- it was that for him in the end that's what I'm saying. It doesn't, his view of it still doesn't really seem to change, right? Actually, despite thinking he had opted out by choosing the like that sort of that more orthodox view of things, he had opted out like this, like I guess, like almost the, the, the capitalism's bind. And he was, he felt that he was a crit, 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 was it a critique? He was a criticizer. He was whatever. Of, like, he was a critic. He was a critique. That's the word. He was a critic of like the kind of the, the effect of capitalism on relationships. He had never fully opted out of it because he still viewed them quite transactionally. He like he viewed them transactionally in the beginning and still views them quite transactionally in the end. And this is there's one thing again, having watched the, the original in 90, the 1973 original and this one, the one thing that I think the one line that I wish they had left in, because actually a lot of the lines were quite similar. Um, despite it being like in Swedish, like the trans the translation seemed to be quite similar to what we watched. Um, the what the, the you know the very final scene where they're in bed together and he she 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 says to him, "I've loved you, I love you in my own deranged way, and yeah. and you love me in your I can't quite remember what he said. She says, "You love me in your own complex way." That's how she describes it. In the Swedish one, they say um, the she, the man says to the woman, "I I, I love you in, in my own selfish way." That's actually the word that's used: selfish, not deranged. And like I, at first, when I when I noted that difference, I thought, oh, they've chosen deranged as opposed to selfish to try and strip, like any. They don't want to have a moral indictment. They're not trying to tell a moral. I don't think these people are trying to be. They don't want a story with a moral moral. So they don't want to use selfish because it's quite moralistic language almost. And so they want to make it quite like a. Because that's why I feel like that's why we can't say that Jonathan's the victim or the villain, and Mira is particularly the victim or the villain. Like it's not. Right. I don't think this is supposed. To, I don't think this is supposed to be a moral tale, right? I think they've chosen deranged instead of selfish because they want to just imply that like romantic relationships are this kind of confusion and this chaos, right? Yeah. But I think if we're going to stick with Jonathan's initial premise that capitalism has ruined relationships, I almost think that using the word selfish would have worked a lot more better. So I don't know. I think I think it's a stylistic choice, obviously, and both both choices, either choice in terms of the script, like had a lot of merits, and they're both still quite striking. But yeah, it's interesting. Um, you're and you're right. Had they had they stuck to to selfish, it would actually make sense just because of how they portrayed Mira between one and one and four. You know, she just, mm-hmm. she was just out for herself. She wanted, mm-hmm. she unilaterally decided when the relationship was over, she yeah. commanded him and, and uh, yeah, she, she, <laughs> she manipulated him, decided when mm-hmm. she, she wanted to be vulnerable and when she mm-hmm. wanted to be domineering, um, yeah. when she, she wanted to, dis- everything had just had to be on her own terms, custody, mm-hmm. um, what happened to the house, the green sofa, it all had to be on her own terms and yeah I I agree just because that's just how cinema is these days it just leaves you in a you're just perplexed by the end of it you know it's just oh god the ending was actually bizarre in this one as well yeah just get up (laughs) they just get up and go and I 
actually, that was something else that I wanted to talk about, but I haven't quite decided what it all meant to me. But being able to see the behind the scenes, right? Seeing mm-hmm. the characters actually being referred to Jessica mm-hmm. to, to as Jessica and Oscar. And my conclusion, just because that's how I felt about it initially, is the fiction is so draining mm-hmm. <laughs> that we needed to be transported in and out of that world. It, it was too much. It was actually too much to witness. And for them to, you know, the end is just, yeah, you know, wrap up, here's your robe and leave. It felt like, it felt like we were detached from what's happened. We've just, again, similar to what I'd said initially, I, I really mm-hmm. felt like a viewer. I was seeing people's stories that were probably based on real life stories, but mm-hmm. I could remove myself, unlike something like Malcolm and Marie, for example. You just, you're just there. You're just there. Mm-hmm. You just witness their chaos. You're with them in their chaos. You're with mm-hmm. them in their, in their ups and downs. When the movie's over, you're just traumatized. <laughs> there was no winner or loser in that one either. You're just left mm-hmm. wondering. Um, you, you're absolutely right. I think that 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 maybe is meant as a sort of more um, dramatic device in the sense that like a because I think that so the, the original screenplay was run by a guy called Ingmar Bergman, who seemed to have written like mostly his like bread and butter was plays. So I think that might have also fed into why they decided to do it that way. So sort of okay. like a play where you arrive on, you know, you arrive on the set, come off the set, blah, blah, and kind of as an homage to that. But also I completely think you're absolutely right. It was it, as a dramatic device does serve to give you closure for for a relationship that has no closure. There's right. no closure. Yeah. Like we needed that we don't know yeah because otherwise what you're really left with is two people who are like here we are in the middle of nowhere with our arms wrapped around each other yeah and i guess just to put a bow on this what is the right way of breaking up because i know for a fact what mira did was just not the one i'm really of the school of like your true self comes out in the mm-hmm. midst of adversity and mm-hmm. I don't think I've never definitely not experienced anything that Mira has, but this is still someone that you loved and that you spent nine years with. At the very least, he deserved a modicum of respect, just a tiny bit of respect. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't think I saw that and thought, what is the right way of breaking up? Because like, I get the sense that neither in the original or the remake that they were they were both really trying to stay away in the sense from like moral um, morality and the tale of it right because and i think that's a part of the reason why the the um why it's never clear who's the villain and i like i said and i think that's why the remake even goes as far goes as far as to like actually switch the genders to make things even more ambiguous right, right? because we can say oh what mirror mirror did was wrong but by the end of that jonathan has even before the woman who he married and had children with, when he slept with Mira in episode three or four or something, he literally walks out of the room and just says to the babe, who, who whoever his lover is, breaks up with her just be- like while his ex-wife is in the room behind him, he's in his boxes. Insane. They were just about Insane. to bow check a wow wow. It was so callous to me the way he did that. Like we don't even hear her name. That's how like meaningless this person is to him, despite the fact that she is invested. And that's the point where I'm like, dude you know what it feels like why wouldn't you be more 
well i almost don't know how to like apply morals to this because it's the neither of the characters are particularly moral i almost think that it goes back to the title innocence versus panic where they're both motivated by like these different fears and i think again like the fear of like conformity but at the same time the fear of uncertainty and blah 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 they're both constantly seemingly motivated by fears and therefore none of them neither of them are rational actors and or making rational choices and i think like you said because mira seems to have come from like a lot more of an unstable background her mother from what i hear her, like i can't quite remember but there's a lot of dialogue about her mother having like literally laughing at her for thinking that she could have like a stable relationship that she just doesn't have yeah. a gene yeah that mar- marriage gene was not for her that she didn't yeah. have, have the marriage gene she just didn't have the gene and I think so I think there's I think there's actually almost a commentary there as to how again predisposed you are even to be able again we come come back to this how do we what what is the indicator what what how does one measure success how does one measure a good relationship how does one measure a good breakup what do we say is the measure right and I think there are some for which and and I sure there there are ways that we can say are like more functional in, in the sense there are many ways a thing can be functional I think for me actually as we've had the discussion I've decided that for me a functioning relationship is a is a relationship that allows part all parties to have a healthy self image and I think a good breakup does the exact same thing and I've come to that conclusion in thirty minutes so I could be wrong but <laughs> that is how I feel that is how I feel when I think about it yeah actually one of the things that I considered during the show is to what degree there are some people who will only ever be able to express and receive love in a way because like the child upbringing that she's gotten that has has predisposed her to expressing and expressing love and 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 understanding love a certain way and actually you think to yourself and you've lived 30 year old, odd years with a certain belief how far can any level of therapy ever go towards changing this and in which case do we then change the bar of success for, for these people who just have such a who've just been calibrated so differently in a sense and, and actually what is the normative what is normative almost do you know what i mean i don't know i think the, the, i really do think the show leaves you with more questions than answers and i think that's per- and obviously that's purposeful because it's just right. it's, it's 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 saying to you it gives you this all these fucking dichotomies in innocence and panic and then says actually none it says orthodox versus orthodox it says unorthodox versus orthodox nah right it says the answer is yellow (laughs) what do you mean it says actually spectrum it says chaos it says what is order it says what is human it says do you know what i mean it asks you what is good yeah what is wow well good luck to us all is all i can say (laughs) (laughs) when i tell you i I always start there looking at the basement